powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Welcome to the program where we will not be trying the newest food release from Kraft and Van Leeuwen ice cream. It's Kraft macaroni and cheese ice cream available soon. No, thank you. I'll eat my macaroni and cheese separate and my ice cream separate. Thank you, please. We're running a little bit late. We're sorry for that. Uh, we're a little behind this week. But today on the program, my special guest is Hannah Williams, and she's a Generation Z talent consultant. You and I probably have been applying some things to Generation Z that are really millennial traits because we don't know what we're talking about. But Hannah does, and she'll be here and educating us today. I'm going to be also focusing on three ways denial can sabotage your success, all coming up today on the program, sponsored by University Subaru. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. There's nothing quite like the love of a good dog. At University Subaru, it seems to us they're all good. See special pet-friendly features in the new 2021 Subaru Outback and Forester. It's never been easier to hit the open road with your best friend and to keep them safe with Subaru all-wheel drive. Subaru is dog-tested and dog-approved. Love, it's what makes a Subaru a Subaru and a dog a dog. University Subaru, Columbia, homegrown and proud of it. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Back to Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards, and my special guest today is Hannah Grady Williams. And as a 12-year-old middle schooler and oldest daughter of seven children, Hannah Williams' dad took her to work at his startup one day per week, and usually they would visit properties, collect rent, and file paperwork. But one afternoon was different. He said, hey, Hannah, the phone is ringing. There's a guy on the other line with a house for sale, and you're going to close this deal. So Hannah took the phone and fumbled through the call, but sure enough, within weeks, they owned the property. Before long, Hannah was religiously consuming business books. She enrolled in college at age 14 and graduated with a degree in international business by 18. And since then, Hannah has consulted Fortune 500 companies and boutique luxury brands and has had the pleasure of working with some of the best and brightest leaders across the globe. 
Hannah's now on a journey to help companies connect with her generation, and her first book will be published in the summer of 2021. Well, that's right now. I can't wait to find out about it. So in a time when the world is increasingly divided, Hannah has made it her mission to foster hashtag radical empathy in the workplace, helping both young and old gain a voice. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Hannah Grady-Williams to Better Than Before. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Tony. Thanks for having me. Yeah, what an introduction. I'm so fascinated by your story. Before we went on here today, I was telling you all about how I grew up. And then, wham, look at you. You're working real estate here at a very young age. I definitely had an interesting upbringing, but it sounds like you did too. It's amazing hearing the stories of different people and where we come from and how it shaped us. You bet. You bet. I've been looking forward to our talk here for a couple of weeks. So, you found your dream job at age four. How'd that work? I did. So let me back up a little bit, Tony. Thanks for sharing my story there and how I got into this. But let me give you and whoever's listening some context to how I got into this and who I am as a Gen Zer myself, sure. because I think it'll help explain this incredible story of how I landed my dream job at age four, in a sense, or found it at age four and landed at 18. You know, so, I love that because there's so much talk about millennials. I don't know that we all know a lot about Gen Z. So that's another great reason I've been looking forward. So tell us the story. Yes. So you heard how I started this whole thing in a blue pickup truck with my dad at age 12. I was the oldest of seven children, so I had quite a different upbringing. I'm a Gen Zer, first of all. I'm 23 years old. And even though I had an interesting upbringing, it's come to a head where, especially considering the events of last year and the quick pace of change nowadays, I realized at, I guess I was about 19 at the time, I realized that companies around the world are still talking about millennials, like you said, right? Yeah. There's very little understanding within talent strategy about the differences between my generation and the millennial generation. And unfortunately, the catch-all of anyone under 40 must be a millennial has actually caused companies to waste millions of dollars in recruiting and retention efforts because they're not recognizing the differences between these two very diverse generations. And so I fell into this back when I was 18 after I had graduated with my degree. And I found myself working for a wonderful company here in my hometown of Asheville, North Carolina, Biltmore Estate. So Biltmore is almost like the Disney of the South on this side of the country. So we, or I say we, the culture at Billmore is so great that I still find myself referring to it as we do things this way. <laughs> Biltmore is a luxury estate. It was the home of George Vanderbilt back in 1895. And we now have a winery. There's hotels on property. It's really a luxury destination. But what guests came to Biltmore all the time talking about was not just the beautiful grounds or the incredible wine. It was the people, right? I mean, it's the employees that they encountered and this incredible, gracious hospitality. So being a native of Asheville myself from an early, early age, I found myself at 18. I had just graduated and I was thinking about where do I want to work? I ended up landing at Biltmore and we'll go back to that story of how I landed yeah. at age four, sure. but I ended up in the side of Biltmore that actually consults other companies on how to take that gracious hospitality into their healthcare business or their finance business. And we ended up 
training, I ended up traveling all over the US and training companies such as Chick-fil-A and Nine Round and Oakland Spine and Physical Therapy. We would travel and train these companies in how to take that element of gracious hospitality into their business as a competitive advantage. So here I am, 18 years old, and I'm sitting at the bar with my much wiser colleagues, my Mm -hmm. Gen X and Boomer leaders from all these companies. And I'm sitting there with my sparkling wine because I can't drink yet. And they're asking me, how do I retain you millennials? You're so troublesome. You come in and six weeks later, you think you can have three months of paternity leave. You think you should be vice president next week. What is your problem? And I remember sitting there having these conversations and really not resonating with a lot of the challenges I was hearing. So I went back home and did my research and realized, I guess this was five years ago. So at the time we were just starting to talk about how to market to Gen Z and how consumer behaviors for Gen Z work. And I found myself digging into this research and realizing my generation, it's not just me who's not resonating with the challenges that companies have with millennials. It's my entire generation is different. So I started identifying what are the key differences between the two generations and where are their gaps in understanding both for companies and for my generation as we enter the workplace. So that's really where my passion developed. I have six younger siblings. So a large portion of this for me or the reason I'm doing this is because I want to see my siblings and my younger friends have a better entry into the workplace than even I did and to help build empathy between generations so that my generation is understood, but so companies also don't feel so unequipped to handle a new generation. That's fantastic. And for those who may not or you might be geographically challenged. Asheville is in the western side of North Carolina, over on the Smoky Mountain side, and it's hilly and mountainy over there. And I, I've done actually an executive team retreat there at the Biltmore before. And if you, oh, have, wonderful! If any of our audience has never visited, you got to. You got to put it on your list of places to go because the Biltmore was technologically way ahead of its time too, with a lot of the really cool things you see when you get there. So you had this revelation that you're actually in a different generation than the millennials and you're in this Gen Z generational category. What are some of the stumbling blocks? Because like you said, we're all familiar with, and I don't like it when people present the topic negatively. I like to look at what do we have in common versus how are we different, right? Exactly. But I don't even know enough about Gen Z to talk about it. That's why you're here today. But what are some of the stumbling blocks that your Gen Z counterparts are going to encounter based on how they were raised and socioeconomic, political factors, all that stuff? Educate us here. Yes, this is a huge topic. We could actually spend an entire hour talking about or days talking about. But let me go back to, before I talk about the stumbling blocks, let me give you some context uh, right. to Generation Z, because I think this will be really helpful in getting in our shoes and hearing us. And it goes back to continuing my story about how culturally companies are really needing at this point to get in tune with the type of culture, the type of recruitment strategy, the type of retention strategy that is necessary to think about at least. Some companies react to this sort of thing 10 or 15 years after they need to. I know many companies that are still working on shifting to millennial 
retention strategy. And that reaction has caused them to lose a lot of their the best and brightest talent that's on the market, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So let's look back because I think this context will give anyone who's listening, a really visual way of thinking about one of the key differences, especially on the recruiting side between millennials and Gen Z. I personally know many companies who are spending millions of dollars on advertising to Gen Z talent. You Mm -hmm. think, how do we reach a Gen Z audience? Well, you think, well, we should get ourselves on Instagram, right? We should get Instagram advertising out Maybe Facebook's not such a good idea, but we should be looking at where is Gen Z looking? Where are Gen Z eyes? And let's get our material in front of them. That would be a typical recruitment strategy. That's right. But let's think about this in the second level. So millennials, one of the key ways they found jobs was by going to online job boards. They would look at reviews. They're finding what types of employers are other peers or other employees saying are good to work for, where are their good benefits, where's their work-life balance. And they were looking at job boards and ads. You get to Gen Z, as a practical example of this, you get to Gen Z and we actually prefer going to our friends and family for word of mouth referrals for places of employment. So let me give you a story because this is how I realized my dream job at age four and how I landed at 18. And it really illustrates how culture-centric recruiting is so important in this day and age if you're trying to reach Gen Z. When I was four, I told you that I'm an Asheville native. So I grew up in these beautiful mountains. We're a food city. It is spectacular. We almost have our own sense of cuisine and identity here, which is probably the reason I stayed. (laughs) Yes. I love it there. You probably tried some of my favorite restaurants when you were here. I was only there for two days, but I did encounter some wonderful food, which is almost the thing I remember about every city. But <laughs> Hey, hey, we're both foodies here. That's the reason <laughs> I travel is to go find great food. When you were here, you probably remember, especially if you were at Biltmore, there's this incredible sense of warmth and hospitality that Biltmore has. And there's a really, really incredible reason for that. And of course, it comes down to the employee culture. So a lot of times we're focused as companies on the customer culture or the culture that we're creating so that we can best present the best client experience or customer experience. But I'm very grateful to see more companies are shifting to thinking about employee experience and Biltmore does this really, really well. So when I was four years old, I'm living here in Asheville. And at the time, my dad was a fledgling entrepreneur. So you heard how he was building his real estate business. And when I was four, he had just closed down his martial arts studio. He had been an award-winning martial artist. He thought straight out of school, he was going to build a martial arts empire and be able to open karate schools all over the state. Well, he quickly realized that was not very lucrative and he was struggling. And he had two children at the time, me as the oldest and my younger sister, Samantha. And we were expensive. We were children. My mom and dad were really struggling to make ends meet. So my mom picked up a part-time job at Biltmore in the winery. She was one of the gift shop hosts. She would just Uh be there 20 hours a week. I actually have memories of going into the winery at Biltmore and tasting the samples. And I just loved those experiences and memories as a four-year-old. And I came to a point one Christmas. So my mom had been working at Biltmore for about six months. And my sister and I came to my parents. It was middle of November. And we told my parents, all we wanted for Christmas that year was those easy bake ovens. Do you remember those? Oh, big, sure. 
Yeah, the little ovens. And it was somehow special for a four-year-old to have our own place to cook our own food instead of having to use the big oven. Yeah, I believe my cousins, my aunt, which was my mom's sister, had one boy and two girls. And I think those two girls smoked up the house one day because they were trying to make (laughs) cookies in their Easy Bake Oven. Exactly. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I remember that. There was something so special about that. So we told my parents, this is all we want. You don't have to get us any other gift. That's all we want. And they said, we're so sorry, girls, but we can't afford them this year. But like maybe next year, maybe we can get them for you. So of course, me as a four-year-old, I was super disappointed. I didn't know a four-year-old's concept of finances is so amateur. And we had no clue what was happening with our parents. Santa's supposed to be bringing it anyway. Exactly. My parents were very honest with us and I'm grateful with them for that. But we ended up going that year. I decided distinctly remember going to someone's Christmas party. And I remember I was very, very short, very close to the ground. I remember looking up at all these giant trees. There were multiple ones and all these beautiful flowers. It was something like a garden. And I remember there were lots of people and my mom took my sister and I up to sit on Santa's lap. And he asked, of course, the typical question, what do you want for Christmas? Mm. And of course, we'd both told him we want easy bake ovens. And About three minutes later, we walked off Santa's lap over to the side and an elf handed us each Easy Bake Ovens. Oh my. And we could not believe our eyes, right? I mean, this was the gift our parents told us we would not have that year. And years later, because I so distinctly and vividly remember that moment, I asked my parents years later, where was that Christmas party? And my mom said, that was the employee Christmas party at Biltmore. So get this. Every year at Biltmore, Biltmore has 2,800 employees. Every year, all of the children of the employees at Biltmore Estate go to a Christmas party. They now have to have multiple because there's so many people. Sure. The family owners give each child of each employee a unique Christmas gift. Mm. And as witnessed by the Easy Bake Oven gift, they're not cheap little (laughs) things. They're meaningful gifts for children. And The family at the time, of course, as a four-year-old, I had no concept of this, but when I was 18 and I was looking for a place to work and I heard that story and remembered my childhood experience, where do you think I wanted to work? If I wanted to stay in Asheville, there was no question. So of course, my first reaction was, how do I get to work at Biltmore? How can I be a part of a culture that obviously cares so much for their employees? And of course, the Christmas party was one piece of evidence of that, but I didn't realize until I did land a job there through a lot of hard work that not only do they care about the employees' children and families, they invest so heavily in training and development for their staff and career pathways. And that is the type of thing that a company does to create loyalty. And so as I shared with you at the beginning, Tony, I still find myself, I'm not working at Biltmore anymore. And I still find myself saying, this is how we do things because that's how critically that culture has been embedded in my brain. So anyway, it's a long way and an illustrative way of saying that my generation is very unique in the sense that every leader I've spoken with, the first words out of the mouth of someone when they hear about Gen Z is to say, well, of course, you all are so technologically savvy. You're digital natives. You must be searching all over the net for jobs. That must be the way you find us. And I say, no, we are the first generation that has been born into technology. And because of that one fact, we are so hungry for personalized, in-person communication and recruiting that feels very meaningful. Mm. So I share that story to say that 
companies really need to shift thinking, and we can talk about some practical ways, but just at a high level, please understand, leader, if you're listening, that if you're trying to reach Gen Z, it's going to take a very different approach than even the one you were taking with millennials or Xers. You've got to realize that technology is a commodity for us. Mm -hmm. And if you want to get through the noise, you need to focus on ways to recruit Gen Z that are more in alignment with word of mouth or referral instead of advertising. Well, that's interesting. Essentially, if I'm understanding you right, is like Gen Z wants to connect more personally and have more rapport, right? Is that exactly? Yeah. If you think about it, back in your age, and I'm going to make this assumption tone. You can tell me if I'm wrong. But easy now, if, Hannah. Easy. <laughs> if growing up in Kentucky, like you shared with me, right, you, you're on a farm. There was probably a lot of time that you spent as a child outside. I would oh, imagine. Yeah. It was probably not uncommon to walk down the road to a neighbor's house. They might give you a glass of milk and chat with you or tell you stories. My generation doesn't have that really and truly. So the same thing, an in-person conversation for you might have been a commodity, right? It was so normal to have those types of conversations or be outside. And for my generation, that is so rare that we crave it. Wow. So when a company can get around what they think is normal for us or what they think we're looking, such as Instagram ads or even Facebook advertising, or even TikTok, like when they can use methods to reach us in a different way, that's when they're going to be effective in recruiting us and often retain us for longer or set the tone to retain us longer. So with that thought in mind of connection and rapport and all the face-to-face, -face, how does Gen Z feel about the whole remote work thing? I get this question very, very often, as you can imagine. Gen Z, if you take what we just talked about with the in-person connection, and if you couple that with the fact that we may look on paper like we're the most educated generation because more children are going to school than ever before or to college and graduating, we may on paper look more educated, but in reality, we are a generation that is so used to not understanding the skill set we need to have to be in a workplace that we need more handholding and more mentorship than any generation. So if a company is considering, do we go fully remote or do we bring our employees back? I would say neither is the answer. Gen Z is looking for flexibility and that's the key, certainly a key word here. And I don't think many other generations would complain about this, but we want in-person time in the office. We need face-to-face -face time with our manager, with our mentors, and we need handholding. I know we haven't gone much into this idea of skill and training. That's a whole separate conversation, but mm. Remote work is going to be very important for Gen Z because we are used to flexibility, but I would say that a hybrid approach is going to be something that Gen Z is going to look at a job description and say, wow, if I'm in the office two days a week, that's perfect. And if I'm at home and I can really focus on work three days out of the week, that's going to feel very like as if the policy has been built around a Gen Zers way of thinking. Well, that's the most discussed and probably the number one challenge I think my CEO clients are facing and the majority of them are looking at a hybrid sometime in and sometime mm -hmm. not. So you mentioned practical ways of reaching Gen Z as far as recruiting. What are some of those? Let's talk about two distinct ones. If you're talking about reaching Gen Z where we are, I would say that, well, let me ask you first a question, Tony. On average, 
how much do you think that your clients, say a company with a thousand employees, how much would you say that they're spending on recruitment efforts each year? How much budget? Yes. How much uh, of their budget? How much money? Oh gosh. I don't know. I would think a significant amount. I'm, I don't know the exact number. Sure. Yeah, I, based on companies I've worked with, I'd say if you're about a thousand person firm, you're probably spending 10 to 15 million. That's not just in advertising, but also, of course, the process of getting someone onboarded, et cetera. But let's just go, let's go slim. Let's sure. say a company is spending $2 million a year in the outward facing recruitment efforts, the advertising, the job fairs, et cetera. So Gen Z is going to resonate with some of those efforts, specifically things like job fairs are really, really great for Gen Zers because we crave in-person connection like we've talked about. So if we have a chance to speak with our potential employer or with at least staff who work with them, then we're going to get a good sense of culture and the vibe from that interaction. What I would suggest that companies really consider shifting away from is paid advertising on social media. We literally click through that. We have no connection to that company unless we've heard someone else talking about it. So instead of advertising, so say $2 million is being spent on outbound advertising. Let's talk about a different strategy. One thing that I am, am working with many companies to change this thought process is the idea of a career influencer. We're all familiar with the idea of an influencer. I mean, you see all these kids all over YouTube and TikTok who are selling makeup products or whatever by demonstrating how you use them and they're influencing the way that we purchase. But what if we took that concept and migrated it into the career side? So let me give you very, very tangible steps here. What if instead of spending $2 million on ads, you shifted $30,000 of that into one of your existing Gen Z employees. So let's say you have a Gen Zer on your team. They may have a thousand people who follow them on Instagram, maybe 1500, what we call micro influencers. Mm -hmm. They have a small network of people around them that are usually local. They're usually friends or friends of friends. They're the type of people you wanna hire. So you identify this person, and they have micro influence, but they're also great in front of the camera. And you see this as evidenced by looking through their Instagram or their YouTube channels, but they also work in a normal position for your company. Maybe they're a marketing coordinator. Maybe if you're in healthcare, they're a nurse and you pay them an additional, say 25 or $30,000, or maybe it's less to that Gen Zer in addition to their salary, their current salary, and they become a career influencer for you. Mm. So in order to pull this off, you're going to need someone from your marketing team to help guide what that content looks like, someone from your HR team to help make sure that nothing that's going to jeopardize the company is put out on social media. Maybe you have someone, a helpful content creator who's helping give ideas to this employee. And what they do is they film two or three videos. It could be TikTok, it could be an Instagram post, it could be a YouTube video. And they film these short videos a few times a week. I'd recommend two or three times a week. And they put them out to their audience. And what the goal of these videos is, is to reach their local audience, other friends or family members or close acquaintances who might be interested or looking for a job. Now, the content of these videos is to show a day in the life of being an employee. So here's another thing about Gen Z. 
we, unlike millennials, are not looking for an idealistic vision of what a company does. We're looking for a real and authentic version of what a company is and how it feels to work there. A practical example of this would be, Tony, you're familiar with the ads and things you see online that are super photoshopped, right? They're not real. They don't feel real. And it's, you look at someone who's working on a cruise line and they're in Bali and it's beautiful and they're an employee, but they get to see the beach all the time and they see the water and they never talk about the angry tourists who are on board that cruise ship they have to deal with as an employee or the long hours or the heat. They never talk about any of those things in their ads. So if a Gen Zer ends up working for that cruise line, they're likely going to be disenchanted by what they find after they're working there and they're likely to leave. So instead, this day in the life career influencer idea is the concept that you're paying a Gen Zer not just to show the pretty elements of the job, you're paying them to show an authentic picture of what it's like working there and the challenges. Because surprisingly, my generation is in search of building a journey for ourselves that includes challenges. And I talk about this a lot in the book. It's almost like a story arc. Gen Zers think about our lives in terms of we have this introduction and then we reach a climax and then we go into the denouement. Every event in our life that we go through, we're looking for that challenge or something it takes the hero to reach a peak before things conclude. And companies have to reach us in those moments. So this career influencer, let's say they're a nurse. They are going to talk about maybe one video is the story of getting to help a patient through one of the most difficult times of their life. And they're really getting to connect with someone. But in the next video, they're talking about or showing the busyness, the hustle, the fact that as a nurse, you're sometimes understaffed or often understaffed and that it takes grind and effort to be a nurse here. Yes. Basically what you're doing by bringing on this influencer, this Gen Z influencer, is you're helping them be a tool through which you can showcase the true authentic nature of what it's like working and the support structure that that Gen Zer has to succeed. And in doing that, those $30,000 or even less, I've seen companies give an employee a $500 gift card a month, and that Gen Zer is really able to connect with their audience in a much deeper and more authentic way than $2 million of career ads ever would. Yeah, I watch a lot of advertising. I was in the advertising business for a while, and I call it the BS buzzer. What are the things that cause the BS buzzer to go off? It sounds like what you're saying is you have to avoid that just incredibly as much as you possibly can with Gen Z. They're going to see right through that. We are visiting with Hannah Grady-Williams, and she's a speaker, author, and Gen Z specialist and business consultant, and she helps leaders recruit, retain, and lead Gen Z talent as a competitive advantage. We're running kind of short on time, but I am just dying to get these five rarely discussed facts that separate Gen Z from millennials. Do you think we can get that in? You're going to have to come back because we've got so much more I want to talk about here, but you think we could get in these five rarely discussed facts? We can try, Tony. How about this? How about I list them? And then on our next conversation, we can dive into them. There's so much meat here. And it's hard to get practical when we have so many things to cover. There are five really key distinctions that separate Gen Z from millennials. And when I am doing 
workshops with companies, this is where light bulbs really begin to go off because you begin to step into the shoes of what it's like being a Gen Zer and growing up in this new age that we as a world have created and realize that Gen Z is much easier to reach than a lot of companies make it. And unfortunately, we've built stereotypes around the millennial generation, and those are being carried over into Gen Z when really many of them are no longer the case. Mm. So the first real distinction that separates Gen Z from millennials is that Gen Z is much more pragmatic versus the millennial tendency to be idealistic. Mm. Gen Z, again, like we've talked about, is almost given a high by a challenge. We're a generation that is going to face many stumbling blocks because of that. We're always seeking a new high because we're seeking something that challenges us and builds us and helps us grow. So there's going to be pros and cons to that in the workplace. And again, we'll delve into that on another conversation because we could talk for hours about it. The second is that Gen Z is tech native but not tech lover. (laughs) So then that's an important distinction. Millennials, of course, growing up, they were already teenagers or young adults by the time social media hit the stage. So millennials kind of stumbled into the world of the digital age versus Gen Z, we've grown up in it. And so we are not lovers of tech. We see it as, again, a commodity. We see it as something necessary, but not something to really value. Number three is, and this really shocks a lot of people who I speak to about this, is that Gen Z as a generation is returning to the apprenticeship. We are open, 62% of us in a recent study that was done, were open to trade-based education programs instead of traditional college. We're a generation, unlike millennials, whose parents from the boomer generation told them you have to get a college degree to get ahead. And Gen Zers are now looking at our millennial predecessors and saying, I don't want to be $80,000 in debt for my business degree or my political science degree. I'd rather get a skill-based job or start my own business and get ahead that way. And my story is a testament to that, but many of my friends, many of my peers, and of course, the research that I've done shows that this is very generational, that we're thinking this way. That of course has many implications for companies, which we can delve into. And then the fourth thing is Generation Z is very loyal. We are not job hoppers. This is a shock to many companies who hear this because of course the millennial stereotype is that millennials expect to be promoted quickly. If they're not getting the growth opportunity they want, they jump ship. And and on average, millennials have held between six and eight jobs by the time they're 30. Whereas Gen Zers say, and 61% are saying this, that we would like to be at a company for 10 or more years if the culture and team supports us and is suited to our needs. Mm. So get that. We actually, because of the environment we've grown up in, the lack of stability in our economy, in our political spectrum, we actually crave stability probably more than many other things that a company could offer us. So that's something, again, we could delve into more, but to know just that fact that companies need to be designing job and career paths that are focused on building not just loyalty, but stability, instead of continuing to think the way that millennials did about job hopping. That one really surprises me. Yeah. Yeah, it's because it's I've had awkward. clients to stop their pension plans and go to 401k because the thought is the millennials wanted to take the 401k with them when they left 
versus right. working there for a long period of time and having the pension. Let's talk about that more next time, Tony, because okay. there's interesting, when we get into benefits, that's another really interesting conversation about the type right. of benefits package that's best for us. But to get to the fifth, because I know we need to wrap up. The fifth is that Gen Z is individualistic. We are DIY in nature. Millennials were very team oriented. And this is going to cause one of the, the biggest rubs between Gen Z and millennial bosses for being managed by millennials. So that's, again, another topic we could delve and spend hours on because it is going to take, to answer your question earlier about stumbling blocks, it's one of our huge blind spots. We are a very individually driven, individualistic and self-focused generation. And of course that has its pros. It also has a lot of cons and a lot of blind spots that we're gonna need our managers to help support us in seeing outside of ourselves to build a better business and a better team. Well, I'm sure as you all in the audience can tell, we all need better education on this particular topic. And so glad that we have Hannah who can help us. And we're definitely going to have her back because there's so many more things. I got 15 more questions just since we've been talking here. But every guest we have on the show, we ask them these 12 rapid fire questions. So are you ready? I am. Let's do it. What is the best memory that immediately comes to mind for you? I would say as a child growing up with phones, being all in my hand, et cetera, one of my best memories is sitting alone in our botanical gardens here in Asheville and just sitting on a blanket, leaning back, looking at the sky and thinking about absolutely nothing. That's the moment I go back to just peace and serenity. Who is the number one hero in your life? My dad, for sure. And he's, his name he's taught is, me so much. His name is? His name is David. David. All right. What is the top value you subscribe to? Integrity. I think that's something that's lost in my generation. Who's the most important person in your life? My husband. His name is Michael. We've been married for two and a half years now. I was a young one who got Fantastic. married. He's Fantastic. wonderful. What's your favorite thing in the whole world? I would say the strive or the drive to do more, to see the world impacted. And every time I can see that or help someone, it gives me a high. What's your favorite food? Oh, gosh. This, this is a hard one, Tony, because we're foodies, <laughs> both of us. I'd say pretty much anything, but if you had to ask me, like, if I had to eat one dish every day till I died, it would be a spread of Ethiopian food on the injera with all the spices and the wonderful, wonderful meats. So that would be my answer. What's the most beautiful place you've ever been to? This is going to surprise many people, but I love the depths of Honduras, like the jungle area with the beautiful, beautiful vines that hang down and the serene water. If you could describe success in one word, what would the word be? Contentment. How do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered as someone who always helped others before serving myself, someone who's always others focused and able to make a difference because others were always helped and it was the focus was never on me. If you could go back and talk to a younger Hannah, what would be the advice you'd give her? If I could go back probably to my 12 year old self, that same time my dad handed me his phone and scared the bejoolies out of me as a 12 year old, I would probably tell her that it is okay to not have everything perfect and everything right in the world, but to just take every day one step at a time and to be content every step of the way. What's your favorite sound? Oh, wow. I'm a musician. So this is an interesting world for me. I love the pipe organ. It's probably my favorite sound, the grandiosity. 
Hmm. And of all the lessons you've learned in your life so far, what would you say is the best lesson you've learned? It's probably one from my parents. That is people are people and there's no one greater than someone else. And if we just approach each other as human, then we can make the world a better place. We can be more empathetic and less narcissistic and we can all have good conversations together. I love that. Hannah Grady Williams, everybody. Hey, tell everybody how to find out more about you, get more information, get some of your resources. How do they go about that? Yes. So Tony, a very practical way. Every leader after speaking with me is asking the question, there's so much information out there about Gen Z and it's so overwhelming. Where do I start? That's always the question. Where is my business hurting the most in this element? And so because of that, I've actually developed a pulse check for anyone listening to this to help to go and just take a quick pop quiz to see what area of Gen Z talent you're actually doing really well already and which areas you may need some help in or may not thinking about right now. So to access that, you can go to my website, which is hannahgwilliams.com slash better than before. So just go to that unique link for this podcast and there's a pulse check. There's also a place you can pre-order my book, which is a leader's guide to unlocking Gen Z. And we literally unpack many of the things that we talked about on the podcast today. I talk about it in the book. And then at the end of every single chapter, there is actionable steps that you can take as a team or as a leader to actually make traction in these areas instead of just learning about Gen Z. That's great. Hannah, thank you so much for taking the time to be on with us today. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I can't wait till you come back. Oh, I'm excited. Thank you for having me, Tony. Hannah Grady-Williams, everybody, Gen Z specialist and consultant. And I will have a leadership and business lesson for you coming up next on Better Than Before. There's nothing quite like the love of a good dog. At University Subaru, it seems to us they're all good. See special pet-friendly features in the new 2021 Subaru Outback and Forester. It's never been easier to hit the open road with your best friend and to keep them safe with Subaru all-wheel drive. Subaru is dog-tested and dog-approved. Love, it's what makes a Subaru a Subaru and a dog a dog. University Subaru, Columbia, homegrown and proud of it. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Back to Better Than Before, I'm Tony Richards, and if you want to reach a level of elite performance, or if you want to maintain the position of elite results you're getting now, you're going to have to deal with things head on as they occur, or you're going to risk getting into a place of denial. As a living human being, you're very critical of yourself, and this is one important trait that has propelled you into elite performance in the first place. The problem is, in our environment, It's always moving, always changing. Things and situations occur that we have to have time to process and deal with. And if we seldom or never take the opportunity to do that processing time and make the appropriate changes that stick, our life and our performance can continue to be damaged and suffer. 
It could be something around our health, or it could be a substance abuse problem. It could be not dealing with a high amount of success in a healthy way. Perhaps our spending is out of control. Perhaps our ego is out of control. Could be totally out of bounds on a sustainable level. Whatever it is, we have a compounded problem because we're actually functioning in a denial of denial perspective. We have denial that we're in denial. Hopefully this little segment today helps you or someone you're coaching get into a place where they can recognize that everything in their life is suffering until they make the decision to get out of denial. Today, I'm just going to focus on three ways that could be affecting your performance. Number one, denial of yourself and your capabilities. If you're using this as a way to build on your self-discipline in a healthy way, that's fine. What I'm talking about is a more negative fashion. There may be things that are powerful needs that you're denying yourself of, which could actually enhance your performance. How many times have you heard people say, well, I really don't need time off, or I really don't need additional rewards, or I don't really want or need any feedback? Sometimes we put on this tough exterior as a front for other people that serves some kind of a macho purpose, but actually it's tearing us down from the inside out. This kind of other people may need that stuff, but I really don't type attitude is not proving anything to anyone because as a human being, we all have needs that must be attended to. Number two, denial of a loss. The first stage of any loss is denial. In extreme cases, we isolate ourselves as a tactic to avoid having to process and deal with what we used to have that we no longer have. It could be a loved one, such as a spouse, a parent, or even a child. In business, quite often, it could be a key customer or a key relationship that you had, and now you don't. There's no actual length of time that we can reference for how long a stage of denial after a loss can take, but if not properly dealt with, it can be very lengthy. Like most things, the longer you ignore it, the more difficult it can be to work on it. Just remember, as long as you have life, you have hope. As long as you have hope, you have life. Number three, denial of a pattern or a habit. Have you ever heard someone say, I don't do that, or I've never done that? When they don't want to acknowledge a pattern of behavior or a habit they possess, It certainly could be that this pattern is in their blind spot and they truly do not realize that it's actually there. Chances are better that they're just really choosing to deny its existence. That way they won't have to face up to it or deal with its reality. And you're just going along with life as usual, not focused on change and possibly not thinking about the ramifications of your patterns and habits. Acknowledgement of the pattern or acknowledgement of the habit has to be the first step because you cannot modify or change anything that you're not first willing to admit is there in the first place. Well, that's our program today. Better Than Before is sponsored by University Subaru. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. Please follow me on Twitter at Tony Richards 4. Come over to Facebook and join my free community, Tony Richards Speaker, Author, Coach. A special thanks, as always, for our producer, Tessa Hall, who always does a fabulous job and has done a great job being flexible and working with me this week as we're running a little bit behind on our schedule. And Tessa's just wonderful. She's just 
helping us and she's there for us and she's a great member of the team until we visit again next week i want you to know that i'm tony richards and you're who you are but i want to remind you that everything gets better when you get better thank you for listening to better than before with tony richards a business leaders podcast powered by clear vision development group For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.